Smashing Security is sponsored this week by Forces. They are holding the Secure Tour, and you can go and visit them in Manchester on the 6th of July at the Old Trafford Football Stadium, Manchester United's own stadium. What is this cyber tour? Well, it's a secure, secure tour. tour. Sorry. Secure tour is where they get loads of experts like Paul Ducklin or Mustafa Al-Bassam, who used to be in the Lulsec hacking gang, as well as technology companies, all speaking about their technology and cybercrime. And if you're an IT security professional, you can register and uh, attend. Wait, and wait, 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 wait. Find out and all kinds of... Hmm? Aren't, aren't you speaking at this thing? Moi? Yeah. Oh, yes, I'm speaking at it as well. Yes, oh. that's true. Yes. You... Right. So, so you, you got a twofer in this one. <laughs> You got a twofer. A t- a t- what's a twofer? A twofer one. Oh, I see. Well, yeah, if, got if you to, want you... to think of it that way. 6th of July, Manchester Old Trafford Football Stadium. Register now. If you're an IT security professional, places are limited. Go to www.forsys.co.uk. That's forsys, F-O-U-R-S-Y-S.co.uk. And get yourself a ticket for the Manchester Secure Tour. Smashing Security, Episode 29, Exploits to Get Your English Teeth Into, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Episode 29 of Smashing Security. Uh, my name is Graham Cluley, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Carol Terrio. Hi, Carol. Hello, how are you? I'm pretty excited. Episode 29, you see, not Episode 25. And okay, you have to explain why. You're going to have to tell them why. Well... It's my fault. Yes, it is, actually. (laughs) You can tell them. When we did some Splinter episodes earlier in the run, um, Carol said, don't put a number on them, don't put a number on them. (laughs) And and then it all got really confusing because people ask us, how many episodes have you done? It's like, well, this is the 29th episode, but it's number 25. It's got too complicated. So I think what we need to do is now jump straight from episode 25 to episode 29, which is this one. I wonder if you could have jumped, like, you know, how a lot of podcasts, they start at like 100 and they do like a season of 12 Ooh, shows. Yeah. And then the second season, they start at 200 and they do 12 shows. Sounds a bit lazy to me. Yeah. If we had a number 489, we'd probably have a lot more listeners, maybe. <laughs> you think people, that's what they're looking for, are they? Just a high yeah, episode count. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. Anyway, like the Gregorian, or is it the Julian calendar, we've skipped a few and we've jumped ahead. That's the way it's going to be now. And it's honest. And it's honest. It is honest. And talking of honest, oh my word, what a special guest we have with us today. Ooh. He is a blogger. He is a star of YouTube. He is <laughs> the sole founder of Host Unknown. He is the three-time World Embassy snooker champion. He is security <laughs> advocate at Alien Vault. It is Javad Malik. Hey, Javad, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Graham. Wow. No can, one. I, can I hire you as my permanent hype man or something? That that was just amazing. Anytime you need a fluffer, I will be. Oh right. Okay. Well, I didn't know it was this kind of show. Is this a bromance? <laughs> Are you really a snooker champion? No. <laughs> I think my highest break is 15. So. Okay. Knowing very little about, you know, uh, pool sports, <laughs> snooker. So, um, Javad, I don't know if you've listened to the show before, but let me explain yes, what we're going to do. Of course he has. Of course he has. What we're going to do is each of us is going to choose a story from the last week from the world, wonderful world of computer security. And we are going to explain why it piqued our interest and why we think we should have a little chat about it as well. So hey, before we start, before we oh, start, yes. um, Javad, what is your astrological sign? 
Can you tell my me? My sign. Yes. It's, uh, I'm a Scorpio. Okay. This, I'm going to talk about this later, but I just wanted to see that. Um, I'm a Scorpio is, is, too. Is, is this part of some elaborate social engineering scam? Yes, you'll see. Yes. Thank <laughs> you so much. I'm collecting yeah, all the information yeah. as we go. I, yeah. I, I really like nicknames. What was your nickname as a child? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You got my question. You already got my second question already. Okay. I am. Yeah, it's typical that both of you are Scorpios, isn't it? Mm. Oh, sexy Scorpio. Watch out. Oh, yeah. Watch out. Yeah, yeah. What are you? Oh, hmm? What are you? I'm Aries of a ram. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Sorry. Was that funny? <laughs> right. Moving on. Um, Patch Tuesday. It's been Patch Tuesday this week. On the second Tuesday of every month, Microsoft. Uh, releases to us the great unwashed it's security patches which is wonderful and we like them for doing that because it helps us protect against all the baddies out there but something rather unusual has happened this time very unusually Microsoft has issued patches for operating systems which it no longer supports the operating systems for which it said we will never never ever release another patch for something like Windows XP and Vista again So why are they doing this? Well, they are warning of destructive cyber attacks, rather like those we saw uh, involving another Microsoft exploit, WannaCry, um, a month or so ago. So they've released a whole bunch of updates. They've done their regular updates as well, of course, but they've, they've now released security updates for XP, Vista, Server 2003, containing fixes for three NSA developed exploits. Are you surprised? Are you surprised? Well, of course, the NSA has been having a little spot of trouble lately, hasn't it? Exactly. Hasn't been able to keep its uh, exploits hoarded away quite as well as they should have done. And uh, unfortunately, because they've had these things and they've fallen into the bad guy's hands, and in this case, the Shadow Brokers hacking gang, um, Mm. potentially they could be exploited by other online criminals or indeed nation states. And that seems to be what Microsoft is worried about because Eric Dua, or Eric Mm. Dua, I'm not sure, he's the general manager of Microsoft Security Response Center. He has said that the, the reason they've done this is to fix vulnerabilities that are at risk of exploitation by nation state actors. In short, they are worried of another WannaCry-style attack. They're in a difficult position now, though, because they kind of set the precedent with WannaCry, didn't they? Well, they have. And, of course... The and wa- I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that was a bad thing. Yeah. But I do feel for them because, God, they've been trying to RIP XP for God knows how long. Well, absolutely. They thought it yeah. was long dead and buried, didn't they? I mean, and I think many companies have switched away, but there are inevitably organizations which still have older computers running older operating systems which maybe have been overlooked or for whatever reason haven't been patched haven't been kept up to date well they can't patch xp (laughs) well no (laughs) no but they have legacy systems they they have legacy systems maybe they could be upgraded and but sometimes that requires upgrading the hardware and you may well think look it just does its job it's just had this simple little job we're going to keep on doing it or it may be that that computer is powering a piece of medical equipment for instance which may have cost millions and they simply cannot afford to upgrade the computer because they've only got drivers to drive that medical equipment which run on those older operating systems exactly um and there's lots of business out there without you know lots of cash to be splash out on on the latest tech right <laughs> that are trying to do good work uh, not you know so yeah so i think it's a good thing that they've done this it's just how are they going to decide going forward whether they should release patch for these legacy systems or not and if they don't and it happens to get hit, 
You know, are they going to get some negative press about well, that? Well, I've seen some people criticizing Microsoft for releasing these patches at all. I, I've seen people saying, you know, they shouldn't have released these patches for these older versions of these operating systems because basically sort of these are people who believe in survival of the fittest. It's like we have to get rid of these older operating systems. Let them die. Let the malware infect them. That's what some people believe. Mm. Javad, what do you think? Oh, it, it, I think it is one of those uh, really complicated issues. There is no sort of like, it, it's kind of like Microsoft are damned if they do and damned if they don't in, mm. in, in many regards. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit like rehab, isn't it? Someone's trying to come off whatever substance they're addicted to and, and you keep feeding them something when things get really bad, you're not really helping them necessarily. Yeah. Um, so what this brings to light in, in my mind is what we see is a legacy model of selling and upgrading and maintaining software at work here, where, you know, not everyone does have the, the capital to invest to undertake all the testing needed and upgrading their, their systems or, or the resources available. So, so maybe the question is, do we need a different style or model of how software is licensed and, and spread and, and maintained? Yeah. I know it's really interesting, actually, because it's almost like you can't force someone to stop using these legacy systems, yet they do potentially pose a threat to the rest of us, right? Because they can act as a hub. Well, exactly. You, yeah. you may find that your company is being attacked by older computers, which haven't been properly protected. And I think Microsoft as a whole would really like the whole of the internet to be safer because anything risky which is going on does damage to them and makes people want to switch away from their operating systems to something else. But, but when you're a software giant of their size, like how, you know, what can they do? I agree. I agree with Javad. Like it's, they're in a hard place. You know, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Any road. Microsoft has released these critical, what they call down-level patches. They have to be manually downloaded, manually installed. It's not as simple as doing your uh, regular Windows update. And interestingly, what's come out of this are the code names which the NSA gave these exploits. So we have three exploits which Microsoft is patching against this week. There is a Steam audit which uh, exploits vulnerabilities in Windows Remote Desktop Protocol. There is okay. Exploding Can, <laughs> <laughs> yep. which exploits flaws in IIS 6.0. And there is Englishman Dentist, <laughs> which, <laughs> which exploits a flaw in Exchange uh, Service. Now, what... what <laughs> I love so, it. What, what we have is some intelligence agent, some some... You know, some hacker dude working for the NSA, right, working on these exploits. And he's thinking, oh, what am I going to call this one? And his mind wanders. And maybe he thinks of the Austin Powers movie and the general state of British dentistry. And, and he calls it. Now, I thought we were supposed to have a special relationship with the Americans. How can they go around criticizing our teeth like this? Oh, come on. Who teases you more than your brother or me? Right. People that like you. People with a special relationship. <laughs> <You see? laughs> I think it's a pretty low. Carol, you are a North American. How would you compare the uh, British versus the uh, North American teeth? Oh, well, I would say they're both very different and um, special in their own way. Special. Special. Yes. I see. See, see, I think this is OPSEC fail on behalf of the intelligence agencies. Why why would you name an exploit in a way that it's easy to guess who named it? Absolutely. I remember there were a couple of exploits which were found before. There was one called Weeping Angel. And another one called Sonic Screwdriver. That's the one. If if you are a Doctor Who fan, (laughs) 
<laughs> which presumably some of the agents working at GCHQ in the UK um, are, you know, that sort of points well, a finger, doesn't it? In a to be fair, direction. though, very few are named in a way that's quirky, cute or rememberable. You know, in the length, in 20 years I've worked in the industry. <laughs> Oh, but I think I think the exploit names do. I mean, the, the malware wow. doesn't always, and the vulnerabilities don't. But these exploits, which are written by agencies, do seem to have these funky code names. And I, I have to say, sometimes I am a little bit impressed with them. I don't know if they have a random word generator. You know, it's, oh, look, it's the lumpy trousers exploit, which we're going to release <laughs> this week. But it's, it's you know, I, I think it has a certain charm about it, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, no, I, yeah. Anyway. I yeah. The message, I think, to read, uh, readers, to listeners of Smashing Security is you've got to patch and protect yourself against these exploits. Patch, because these fixes are available. You may also want some layered protection to reduce the chances of you being exposed to some of the vulnerabilities here as well. Um, and Can I yeah. just ask a question before you uh, close uh -huh. off? So when you were talking about the patches, so people who are running currently protected systems or, or, or um, supported systems. Yes. What do they need to do? Do they need to do anything different than they normally do on Patch Tuesday? Well, the officially supported versions of Windows, so the latest versions of Windows, yes. are not vulnerable to these three NSA-developed exploits. Okay, perfect. So you have to apply your normal patches just like you would any other Patch Tuesday, um, but you don't have to worry about these particular ones. These particular ones seem to target particularly old operating systems. Now, okay, why that is... Yeah. Uh, whether someone is planning to launch an attack against older operating systems and why Microsoft's been driven to this, we don't know exactly what has driven them and to they, do and, this. And but. users of these old legacy systems who want to patch, and we recommend they do, need to manually download them and install them. So That's it's right. not just an automated... Okay. And perfect. we'll put links in the show notes as well. Super. Okay, Javad, what's caught your attention this week? So uh, this week, my attention has been captivated and absolutely uh, fully consumed by MaxPy, uh, which is an OSX wrapped as a service. Yeah. Um, it's uh, probably one of the first instances of malware as a service that we've seen on, on, on the Mac OS. And uh, it, it, it just came to light about a month ago. Now, Javad, just to interrupt, malware as a service, how does that vary from traditional malware? What does that actually mean, malware as a service? It's, it means that it's, it's offered very much as a service. So if you want to go and launch the attack, you don't have to worry about compiling, downloading, executing it. You just go online and you say, hey, Mr. Bad Guy, here's, here's my credit card details or here, here are some Bitcoins. Uh, can you launch the attack against here and give me an interface which I can then collect the data from? So it's a very commoditized um, offering that allows non-technical criminals to... Be criminals. To be criminals, yes. Hmm. Okay. Uh, all right. So tell us what's happened. So so we have malware as a service. Now, this is not new for Windows. This is just new for Macs. Yes, that's right. It's new for Macs. It's kind of like the, the, the question is, why, why now? I mean, Macs are all marketed on the premise that they're secure and they don't get viruses or, or, or malware. And um, it, it's really, I, I think it's, it's just like they follow the money. Where, wherever there, there's more um, proliferation of any operating system, you'll see more attacks being developed against it. And we see Macs growing in popularity at home, but more, more than that in the enterprise now. Yeah. So, so it, it, it becomes a, a far more attractive 
target for, for people to go? So I think one of the things which has happened is many business people, you know, they're, they're used to being given a computer at work or whatever, but many of us now are given laptops as well because, you know, we're expected to work from home or we're expected to go out or just a laptop. Rest of it. Yeah. And it's not unusual at all for some people to say, well, you know what? I'd really like a MacBook because they're great laptops. And uh, so people are requesting those. And so they do become a target. I mean, it's it's never been the case that there hasn't been malware for Mac. There's been a lot less malware for Mac. But this is really a sign that malware for Mac is growing up. Oh, stop it. I always hate this argument. What? Just because, okay, just because this is basically a proof of concept, right? Like it doesn't mean, oh, suddenly now Mac Mac users watch out, you know, the storm is coming. Carol, this isn't a proof of concept. This is real criminal business in action happening on the web right now. If I wanted to infect your Mac, presuming yes. you had a Mac, I could go there, I could give them so many Bitcoin and woomph, off they go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, but it's one that's, instance of it. That's it's one instance. Yeah, of yes, it, but there, there's only one instance of Amazon, you know, and there's <laughs> big websites, right? It's only got to be one okay, person. You know who, what? You're right. Go make sweeping statements it's, about it. It's, go ahead. Go ahead. Go tell, no, them, tell I, us how it's going to be. I'm just saying, it only requires one criminal organization to do this properly and effectively, and they've got their funky little screenshots and they've built this nice little website. And that potentially opens up attacks to so many people who would not have the technical nous to know how to do this, who wouldn't want to get their hands dirty. There's something gross about that. The fact that people that don't know how to do it can actually just go and ask someone to do it for them that has no basis in anything other than I've paid you money. Right. And I want you to do this attack. Yeah, that's that's. Gun for hire, effectively. It, it, it's it's guns for hire, and it effectively opens up the criminal world of malware to so many more people who may previously have been thought, "Oh, I just don't get on with computers very well," you know, or whatever. But they 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 were running adverts for it, so which is how it, it came to the attention of of researchers to begin with, like on so, on just average websites on, on ads on. Like advertising online, they had their online sort of like uh, banners and and stuff. Not not on the mainstream sites, yeah. but like more, more yeah. your kind of like seedier websites. But um, but the, you know they have a, a whole bunch of features and 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 things that they list out, which you know you start going through and it, and it's really like you know quite impressive. And, and then you think about the, the the potential victims there. Like it's not just like big enterprises, but you could see like you know celebrities and PR agents and all those kind of things. They, they, they're still reading from their previous, you know, iPhotos mm. uh, sort of breaches. And, and this facilitates a lot of that kind of stuff as well. It's pretty nasty stuff. And um, I saw the same gang. Uh, this, this is like the spyware variant. But I saw they were also releasing and distributing ransomware as a service as well. So they're doing a ransomware version. It's called Mac Ransom. So, you know, yeah. it looks pretty organized to me. And I think the message to Mac users is you can't be complacent. There are far fewer threats for Mac, but it doesn't mean they don't exist at all. And malware for Mac, I would argue, Krill, is growing up. Yeah, but you've only been saying that for 15 years, so. Yeah, well. It'll, it'll it, catch up. You'll it, be right one it, day. When something gets to be about 15 years, that it gets particularly unpleasant <laughs> and smelly and okay. pockmarked. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay, we we agree we agree to disagree in our tone. That's all. Oh, okay. Uh, you're, you're the you're the calming, wonderful voice of reason in a world gone <laughs> yeah. mad. Nice. That's how people mostly describe me. Yes. Calm. Carol, yeah. <laughs> over to you. What have you got? Thank you, Javad. What have you got for us? Okay, so imagine the situation that you have had your information stolen. Maybe your information from your email or from LinkedIn, or you're you're involved in a big data breach, and they've stolen that information. Okay. And they're now trying to use that information to get 
um, uh, more information or maybe credit card details. How are banks and other websites going to stop people who have all the correct information from actually accessing the information you want to protect from them? We have this cool paper from this research team, Morano, Gambarini, and Sartoni. They published this last month, and it's a novel approach to detecting fake identities. So the idea is this. So while truth tellers respond in one way to unexpected questions, and I'll get to what unexpected questions are in a second, liars have to build and verify their responses. So they take actually longer to answer, and they take a more roundabout way um, like a literally a roundabout way in selecting the correct answer. So in this in this study that they've done, they had yes or no answers. Okay. And the expected questions were things like, were you born in 1991? And Graham, you would certainly, if you were being honest, say no, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> were you born before 19? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, or were you born in a particular city? So you were, were do you live in Pisa? And you would answer yes or no. I, now, I eat a lot of Pisa, but yes, okay. Carry on. <laughs> so, so those questions are considered expected questions. And if you are trying to, um, fake someone else's identity, you would probably research those and know those quite quickly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So an identity right? thief would have that sort of information at his fingertips potentially. And so yeah. he, he would be able to trick the website into believing uh, that he was the person he was pretending to be. Okay. Yeah. It's like when I was trying to get into dance clubs when I was underage, right? You'd memorize the license, the, li the driver's license that you borrowed from your friend. Um, you would figure out all kinds of questions, including, including the star sign, actually. That was one of the things we were often asked. And that was, that's the thing that would make me not get access because I wouldn't have researched that bit, which is why I asked you earlier, Javad, did you know your zodiac sign? <laughs> ah. um, because that was one of the unexpected questions that they used in this as well. So one of them is, are you 21 years old? Right. So rather than asking what year you're born in, it's asking what age are you right now? Now, it's, that's not something that you can't work out if you're faking an identity, but it takes you a bit longer, doesn't it? Because okay. I know right away what my age as opposed to if I was trying to pretend to be you, Graham, with 55 or 56 cheeky the real person <laughs> knows their age instantly whereas Correct. a criminal has to go okay after 1973 minus this you know they have to work it out okay right or you might ask instead of asking do you live in a particular city you might say do you live in a particular state right because oh, okay. if you were faking it and you were maybe not from the same country that may not be quickly available to you hmm. So it seems um, they're, uh, they find it difficult. Liars find it difficult to respond to these unexpected questions quickly and without errors. And what happens is it changes, this is the cool bit for me, that changes their mouse dynamics. So if you imagine your mouse is hovering at place X on the screen and you are you draw a direct line to the, the answer you need, which right. let's say assume is yes in this, okay. in this instance. Um, if you draw a straight line to that, you'll see that people who are truthfully answers will be very close to that straight line. There'll be a little bit of an arc. But those that are lying, they have a lot bigger arc around. It's almost like it looks like a, uh, like a, a bow and arrow, like the bow, you know, with the, with yeah. the so, and apparently that it's 90% accurate that fraudsters will kind of be a lot looser in their direction and a lot slower in getting there. Because basically they're dithering. They're, 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 they're thinking, oh, exactly. oh, I, I don't know, I don't know. And this, this is the sort of tale which someone like Darren Brown would be able to tell, right? Because he's, oh, he's a bit spooky if you haven't seen well, Darren Brown. Yeah. But he'll just look at you, ask you a question, and he knows if you're lying or he knows if you're thinking of a particular number. And similarly, this tracking of the mouse might give clues to 
critical websites as to whether someone is who they claim. That's very interesting. Well, it is, except that, you know, it's a bit like a, di a digital polygraph, isn't it? And, I mean, we all know that polygraphs um, aren't considered uh, scientific by mo most of the community anymore. I mean, I don't think they're used anywhere privately, anywhere in the States, for instance. Oh, I think they still use it in governments, which is weird. But anyway. We, we use one in our house. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, the idea behind that is that you use certain indications to make a judgment. And I guess most of the security industry, really, most of the security technology kind of works a lot in that way. You know, look for patterns. So, um, anyway, it's very interesting. Um, and it, it could open the door to, to two new research. So, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Are there so, any privacy concerns here? You know, if websites begin to track your mouse movement, I wonder if some people might be a little bit... I think there's a lot bigger privacy concerns we have to have right yeah. now in mouse movements. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of like anti-fraud type technologies have been using some elements of things like that yes. before. Like they map your, your, your user journey as you enter the web, like, uh, the, the, the website, which URLs you tend to navigate through, the dwell time and all that kind of stuff mm. to pick out whether you're a human or a script or, mm. or, right. or, or, or that kind of thing. Yep. So, I, so I don't think, you know, mouse... Is that much of an issue? I, I, I tell you what I think. I, I think that the biggest issue we have is uh, websites are just too polite. They're there to help facilitate and say, hey, welcome back, Graham. We think it's you. Please tell yeah. us it's you and buy some stuff. I, I think they should just switch it around, be rude and have, you know, the, the American TSA kind of like approach. Like, what are you doing here? What do you want? We don't like the looks of you. Turn around and, you know. <laughs> Who are you? you? Would, what do you, you would want? You would drain the economy that way. How dare yeah. you get come that into approach. our country? Exactly. Yeah, like a yeah. tax form, a tax form approach. Yeah. What yeah. are you Give doing me. with those shoes? <laughs> God. Yeah. Time for the pat down. You know, uh, you, know you, you just remove all fraud that way. I, th I think we just need to get a bit more, yeah, bit rude security is the way to go. So my yeah. recommendation to websites is if you spot Javad Malik is coming towards you with his browser, maybe get reach for the wooden spoon and uh, get ready to apply it. That's how he likes to be treated. Don't yes. give him a usual login prompt. That'd yes. be marvellous. Uh, uh, another list you want me added to. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to collect them all. They're like Pokemons. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks very much. Crow, I think it's time to shout out for our sponsor this week. Thank you to Forces for sponsoring the show. If you're interested in joining Secure Tour 17, please visit forces.co.uk to register. That's forces, F-O-U-R-S-Y-S.co.uk. And thanks for sponsoring the show. And I, I, I'm going to be there too, Crow. I'm going to be oh, there. Oh, yeah. And Graham's there. Okay, welcome back to the show. And in this final segment of the show, we are going to describe our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Corolla, are you going to do it or not? Pick of the week. Pick, Pick of, the week. of the week. Excellent. So each of us has chosen something. It doesn't have to be security related at all. Just something which uh, took our fancy a little bit. And I'm going to go first because have you heard? Do you remember the Atari video game console? Oh, yeah. Way I'm, back I'm when. I'm not that old. <laughs> you look it. <laughs> well, well, um, back in the 1980s, there was an awesome Atari game called Ms. Pac-Man. Not the original oh, Pac-Man. It was so good. Apparently, the purists prefer Ms. Pac-Man. They consider it to be a superior game. Oh, I didn't know that. 
Yes, yes, apparently it is meant to be better. Anyway, I don't know about these things, but I have bad news, which is that Microsoft have defeated Ms. Pac-Man. Specifically, they have developed an AI, an artificial intelligence, which can play Ms. Pac-Man perfectly. And it has now scored a perfect score of 990,990, more than any human has ever achieved. Okay, let me get this. So Microsoft, 30 years on, with their latest technology, have been able to beat a game that was created in the 80s. Well, well done, Microsoft. Well, I think they're thinking that the AI wow. may have some useful application. Let's be honest. They're not really thinking of a useful application at all. They clearly had a lot of time on their hands. But, uh, you know, I think this is quite serious. We have to be careful about AI, don't we? Because you remember, this is how Skynet yeah. started. I'm sure yeah. Terminator, it all started with Ms. Pac-Man. And, and before Google, you know it, the Google's rise AI, of robots. Yeah, and Google's AI beat Go, didn't it? Didn't it beat? Yes, it plays a very good year? game of Go. Yes, yeah. it's Go Ogle, but let's not do that joke. Oh again. yeah, yeah, that's right. It oh, went yeah. down very badly last week. Oh, you're still, they still, you're still harping on about it. Okay, <laughs> but you know who else is going to be pissed off? Abner Ashman. Who? Oh, Abd, you don't know Abner Ashman? I'm no. Sorry. He holds the official world's record for Ms. Pac-Man. He he managed to score, and it looks pretty pathetic now. Let's be honest. No, it doesn't. 933,580. He's, he's a human being. <laughs> well, he spent hours. I bet he probably peed in a cup to play that long. He didn't have pauses. Jeez. Anyway, you can check out the video. We'll put it in the show notes as to what Microsoft has been uh, spending. All, you know, all that money we give them in Office 365 subscriptions has obviously been spent <laughs> sensibly. And uh, they've, they've written well, a program which can play Ms. Pac-Man really well. Fantastic. It's kind of cool, kind of crazy as well. And I imagine it has some use. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Good tip. That was my pick of the week. Now, Javad, do you have a pick of the week? I do us? have a pick of the week, yes. <laughs> uh, so there was this techie, apparently, who worked for Google, I think. I can't remember. But anyway, he was a developer. And okay. um, he felt that his life was too entrenched in routine and uh, a steady pattern. So he made an app that eventually he, he, he expanded on it. He started off with it just to do Uber, but basically it randomized his life. So he would, um, you know, click on the app and set a budget. Uh, an Uber would pick him up and he would have no idea where it would, where it would take him. What cool. <laughs> So I love this. On, on top of that, he would end up at random Facebook parties. <laughs> so like people, a person would have an open party on Facebook. <clears throat> he would travel there, turn up with a bottle of bubbly and say, hey, I saw the invite online. I'm just here. <laughs> um, and, and what's his, has he got a kind of conclusion of his living his life some this purpose, way? Some <laughs> purpose, meaning in his life at all? Um, I didn't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think what well, well, he said that he was really happy that it, it allowed him to experience things and meet people that he would otherwise never have done. Um, so, you know, he, he ended up, you know, going around the world. He spent like, I don't know, weird sort of festivals in, in, in random parts of the world that happens. He, he ended up there. So he, he went around the world. He met people and strangers and, and all that kind of stuff. So, and so I, I think it's good in a way that like, you know, you, you kind of like step outside of your own bubble 
I know, but it's bringing on more chaos theory. <laughs> Don't we have enough chaos? So is he going to create an app and make this available to anyone who wants to just, you know, throw their wife into a into into the dryer and see what happens? I don't know. He's he's got he's, he's got a, a website where he's got details of his project on it, and uh, he he's got a lot of like tips that he, he's collected <laughs> over the years, like how to encourage, um, well, well, how to attend strangers' publicly listed events. <laughs> it reminds so. me a bit of that. Do you remember that book in the 1970s, The Dice Man? I'm not that old. By- <laughs> <laughs> Presumably presume you've heard of books which existed before you were alive. Anyway, there, yes, there was a book in the 1970s called, uh, by Luke Reinhardt called The Dice Man, all about a guy who uh. decides... It's a great what, book. What, have you read it, Cross? Yes. yes I bet you haven't. No, I have, actually. Really? Is yes. that like the one of the five books of fiction <laughs> you've ever deigned to read? But yeah, it was rather a disturbing book, as I recall. Oh, I liked it. Yeah. yeah well, it all got a bit dark, though. It did get a bit dark. But um, yeah, it was about a guy who basically decided, well, I'm just not going to decide, make any decisions myself. It's all going to be on, done by a dice. And mm-hmm. um it sounds like he sort of reenacted that for the app generation. Can I ask a technical question about this fellow? Does does he have a girlfriend? <laughs> I don't. It wasn't mentioned in the article. <laughs> no, surprising that, isn't it? Did he have a job at all? Yeah, he started off. Um, he was working at Google, I think. Oh. And but I think by the end of it, he's working somewhere else. W- were you going to get all conservative on him and like you don't have a job, you don't have anything, well, you don't have any responsibilities, sure. you don't sure have a life? It, was, it sounds like he's having you know, a life. You sound I'm, sad. To I'm, me. I'm, I'm wondering jealous. how I could have a life like this. Well, we, you could just ask us, and the li- I think all the listeners should send in random advice for Graham to experience in his life. We so, could do a know, Twitter poll. Rather yeah. than throwing a dice, we should put up a Twitter poll every yeah. time some big I mean, decision needs to I mean, I'll just put it out there. I think you should fly out to uh, Canada and be a lumberjack for a week or something like that. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I'm a natural lumberjack. I'll film it. It'll be a documentary. <laughs> yes. How the English dentist <laughs> made his way to the big country. All right. Carol, what have you got for us? Oh, well, I've got something quite fun. Okay. Good. I Okay. You know, I, I have actually thrown my wireless mouse in the drawer about a year ago because I <laughs> yes. just got so annoyed with the freaking battery usage and then going out of battery, not having batteries. Blah, 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 blah. That's not the main problem with wireless mice. No, and they disconnect. No, no, no. There's another problem with wireless okay. mice. You lose it? <laughs> yes, because they don't have a wire. <laughs> Same with these ear yes. pods and things, these stupid Apple yes. AirPods. Well, I don't know what they're called, but they don't have a wire. It's like you want the wire. The wire is a bonus. I would pay extra for a wire. Same with a mouse. I've got a cluttered desk. I need to find my mouse. Extra. I will okay, yank calm, the calm. wire. You don't have to pay extra for either. They, the wire is cheap. You can get them with the wire. Now, Logitech, oh. the mouse people, I thought I'd stay on the same topic of mice and <laughs> mices. Good. Good. I like this. Um, have found a way that a wireless mice will ne- ma- wireless mouse will never again run out of battery. Clockwork. How did they do it? Solar power. A chargeable mouse pad, people. How has no one ever thought about this before? What? A, a so rechargeable mouse pad? Yeah. So you have your little mouse on your little mouse ba- pad, and as you're working, it's actually keeping it charged. Hang on, hang on. So <laughs> your mouse pad is plugged into something with a wire, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. what is the point of that? Pay no attention you know, to the to know, the man behind the curtain. <laughs> so it's got a dongle on the mouse. So it's actually oh, there's a lot of money to be spent here. Actually, okay. So there are two Logitech mice 
for which this will be compatible, the G903 and the G703, for those who are interested. And there's the charging mat called the PowerPlay bundle. So the bundle is separate from the mice, right? So the mice are like 100, 150 bucks. <laughs> the power, the, the bundle, the mouse mat, the wireless charging base, which yes, you'd probably have to plug in. Two mouse services are in there, soft and hard, so you have a choice. <laughs> Pointless. Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I can't believe I didn't notice that before. I, I was all excited by the idea that it's using kind of cool, you know, magnetic resonance transmitters to, you know, because that's really hard to do. You know how normally this whole wireless stuff works. You have to be right on top of each other, right? right. The, 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 the transmitter and the receiver got to be very close for it to work. But this is working across a whole mouse pad. Okay. So I don't know how they're doing it. Um, Ars Technica's Sebastian Anthony thinks there must be lots of antennas around built into the charging mouse pad, but uh, I don't how, know. How so, much are you going to have to spend for this mouse? Well, the mice also, the other problem, the mice are ugly. They're like, <laughs> they're black, they're angry, they're angular, and apparently they don't work on a Mac as well. Oh, well. And I don't know why. I don't see why that is, but there you are. Forget it. Um, the whole shebang will put you back um, for the cheaper mouse, 150 bucks. What? Right. Yep. Two hundred and fifty dollars. Two hundred and fifty. Yep. If you get the uh, the G nine hundred three, Logitech G nine hundred three. Well, thank you, Crow. For and your... then you can lose your mouse, <laughs> right? And but you know, know if you find it, it'll be charged <laughs> when you bring it back. Crow, that was a quite brilliant <laughs> pick of the week. Pick of the week. <laughs> pick well, of the week. I think. We can't beat that one. That just about wraps it up. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, tell your friends. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's a nice thing to do. Apparently, it means more people get to learn about our podcast. Well, if you leave a nice review. Yeah, nice exactly. Thing. We had a bad one the other day. Don't leave any bad ones. We only want the five-star reviews. Go to www.smashingsecurity.com because we've got a brand new website. Go and check it out. And you can contact us there and find our links to Twitter and all the other things. So until next time. Thank you very much, Javad Malik. We appreciate you coming along. Thank you for having me. Had a blast. Yay. Cheers. We'll put links to your Twitter and things like that in the show notes. Thank you, Carol, as ever. <laughs> and especially well. for that pick of the week. Pick of the week. <laughs> and uh, until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. quite something, wasn't it? <laughs> 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 <laughs>